the Seeds of Triumph podcast. We are all about helping service members navigate through the difficult and challenging experiences that come with serving in the military. Here on Seeds of Triumph, we will discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as provide several resources, techniques, and coping mechanisms that can be used every day to instill overall toughness, wellness, and resiliency into our military force. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy what we have to provide. Welcome to another episode of Seeds of Triumph. Today, we have with us Dr. John Cordell. John is a retired Navy captain and commanding officer. He has won numerous prestigious awards during his time in the service, and he is currently employed as the primary advisor to Commander Naval Surface Force Atlantic on Human Factors and Performance. Thank you for being here, Dr. Cordell. Um, if you wouldn't mind, would you just tell us a little bit more about yourself, like where you're from, why you joined the military, what your experience was when you were in, and just what you're doing now and, and what you're passionate about? Okay, sure. Well, first of all, it's John. And uh, I, uh, <laughs> I was a Navy brat. My dad was a Mustang, um, joined the Navy in World War II, stuck around for 30 years, retired as a lieutenant commander. And uh, we ended up back in his hometown, where I'm at now, of Rome, Georgia. Um, and, uh, you know, it was one of those things where I think I was just always going to follow my dad's footsteps. Um, although I'm not sure I knew it at the time, but uh, I didn't really have a good plan. I was, uh, I was in a rock band. I had good grades in high school and uh, wasn't real sure what I was going to do next. And my dad kind of said, hey, look, here, here's the deal, kid. You're 18. You got good grades. I ain't paying for college. You're not living in my house. Um, but I, I ordered this application for the Naval Academy and I'm like, that's interesting. Where's that? And he said, it's in Maryland. And I said, okay. Uh, and I, sight unseen, I filled it out, applied to the Naval Academy and Georgia Tech and got into both. And, uh, I think my motivation was get out of Georgia and so get, do something different. And so I went to the Naval Academy, I had no idea, I'd never been there before. I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, and, uh, so I, I show up and and kind of like boot camp, you know, you show up, they shave your head, they give you a uniform to take your clothes away, they start yelling at you. Um, and about a week into it, I remember going down to the phone bank back in the day, it was just pay phones. And uh, I called my dad and I said, hey, dad, I think I made a terrible mistake. Um, you know, I think I want to come home. And he's like, okay, you're an adult, you know, make a decision, live with the consequences. And I'm like, damn it. I thought you were going to like talk me into it or something. He goes, no. Uh, but remember the same rules, you know, he's, uh, I will let you live in the basement for 500 bucks a month, but you got to be home at 10 PM uh, on the weekends and, uh, and no spending the night outside the house. And I'm like, okay, I'll stay here. So, uh, <laughs> did the Naval Academy, um, stuck around for 30 years. I was on surface ships, uh, a wide range from aircraft carriers, to destroyers, to cruisers, had the good fortune to command two, uh, USS Oscar Austin named after a medal of honor recipient, uh, and uh, USS uh, San Jacinto, uh, named after a famous battle. And so uh, went from there to a, a, a surf plant where I'm at now, but uh, at the time as chief of staff, and uh, retired in 2013. Um, and so one thing that had uh, really been the focus of my time in the Navy was, and I'm sure you lived with this, uh, is I was just tired all the time. And, uh, and it, it sucked. And especially as a nuke, you're in crazy shift work and 
five and dimes watches and all this stuff. And so um, I can go more into this later, but essentially got engaged with the idea that it doesn't have to be that way, that there's science behind how people sleep and how they work and that uh, maybe we could do something different. And so that kind of became my passion. And uh, I fought for that for my time in the Navy after I retired. And then um, since I there was an opportunity after the collisions in 2017, um, they opened up a job for a human factors engineer to look at op-tempo, fatigue, stress. And uh, my wife was like, well, you're doing this all the time in your free time. Why not get paid for it? And so uh, I came back into this job now. And... Uh, and that's what I've been doing for about three years here at Surfland. So my day-to-day is uh, really two things, looking at the uh, at fatigue and stress and, and op-tempo, watch bills, things like that, and then also um, human systems integration, which really gets you into like the human-machine interface. So radars, steering systems, things like that, making sure they're, they're designed well. Um, I, I should caveat, if it's okay, that uh, my opinions on this show are mine. Um, I'm not representing the government, and uh, uh, you know I'll, I'll certainly be conscious of the fact that they do pay my salary, but uh, I, <laughs> I may I may deviate from from the uh, you know the standard script sometimes, and it's just my opinion, if that's okay. Yeah, no, that is totally fine. I actually have a disclaimer at the end of all the episodes that definitely goes into saying you know that that our opinions are not those of the Department of the Defense and they're just truly our own. Awesome. But okay. Yeah. Just just like me, I know you two support the cause and, and you know, you want to do everything that you can to help support the sailors of the Navy. So Absolutely. That's what matters at the end of the day. Yes, ma'am. So, yeah, so that, that's what I'm kind of about. Um, I uh, uh, just enjoy, you know, what, what makes my day is to go aboard a ship and, and interact with sailors. And, uh, and if I can do something that makes their life a little bit better. Um, and that's kind of what got me into a little bit, a little bit of far afield from straight human factors, which is more about, uh, you know, the, the individual as part of the system, um, from a design standpoint and a little more into you know, mental health and stress and things like that, that, and my own personal experiences with those factors that, uh, that made me realize that, Hey, you can have the right person, have them all trained up. Um, and something as simple as, you know, they put their dog down that morning and it it just tears them up. And the next thing you know, they're not, they're not a good pilot. They're not a good officer of the deck or they're not a good watchstander. And so, um, or they've been up for 36 hours and they're essentially drunk. Um, and so, uh, so those are the things that, uh, that sort of keep me motivated and, uh, and, and doing this. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it um it makes me happy to know cuz honestly I didn't even know that, you know, these positions existed. Um so they have, you know, this highly qualified person such as yourself advising uh the Navy on human performance right. and and how to yeah, manage stress and just like you said, um figure out how to best integrate the human into the system. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I'm so glad that they have that because I didn't know it exists. And so you're like the perfect person to talk to kind of about the things that the Navy is doing, you know, to make things better and easier for our service members. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I um, read about and, and you know, kind of how I was introduced to you was your work in the uh, sleep study. Right. Yeah. So can you just talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Absolutely. So uh, 
you know, my Naval Academy classmates always laugh that uh, the guy who always showed up late to formation with rack burns on his face now has a PhD and teaches sleep science. Um, cause you know, I have a lot of experience with sleep. Um, but, uh, you know, so it, it kind of goes back, um, to this, this concept of, of the Navy sort of ignoring science for a long time. And, uh, if you, if you, you know, just Google sleep or circadian and your body has a natural circadian rhythm where you sleep at the nighttime and you awake in the daytime. And if you break that rhythm, then you really have consequences, right, with your ability to, to function. It's just like if you fly across country, you know, you, you live in Hawaii, right? So if you fly back to the States, that's a what, three, four-hour time difference. And it, it, it throws you off for a couple of days, right? And so the watch rotations that we routinely stood when I was growing up in the Navy, five and dimes was kind of typical, five hours on, ten off. But what that means is every third day you work a 24-hour day. And every night you sleep at a different time because you'll have five hour watch, a full work day, and then a five hour watch. Um, and it's crazy, right? And so that is crazy. Um, yeah. It's like the most unscientific thing, but it's just kind of what everybody did because that's what we've always done, right? Um, and so um, back up all the way back to my, uh, I'll tell a couple of sea stories uh, uh, involved myself and sleep. One is a midshipman um, thinking it was smart to take a nap after finals and drive home to Georgia. 12-hour drive uh, starting at midnight, and uh, and what, I was driving down I-95, I think, and what woke me up was the uh, my car hit the guardrail because I'd fallen asleep, and, and it knocked me back into the highway, spun me around a couple times. Uh, I was shook up but fine, and uh, so I just crawled under the dirty clothes in the back of the car and slept for a couple hours and then drove home, but that was just stupid, you know. Um, fast forward a few years, and... Uh, and I'm, I'm on uh, in command of a Navy warship, USS Oscar Austin. Fast forward many years, about 25, um, and hadn't really figured this out. And so we were actually uh, transiting the strait uh, around Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, four ships in formation. I'm in. The, I'm at the lead, about 2,000 yards, about 4,000 yards between us, going about 15 or 20 knots. So a ship will close that distance in a matter of you know six minutes. They'll be on top of the next ship. And I'd been up there all day long into the night. Now it's two o'clock in the morning, and uh, and I I fell asleep. And so the watch team lost track of where we were. Um, and by the time I woke up, I realized that I had no idea how close we were to shoal water. There's a bridge in front of us. There's lights everywhere. And so I ordered all stop and rudder midships. Well, you know the officer deck says, "Sir, there's three ships behind us." And so I grabbed the bridge-to-bridge radio, and I said, this is the captain of USS Oscar Austin. I have lost situation awareness. I'm stopping my engines to avoid grounding. And, uh, of course, then all hell broke loose because the ships behind me had to stop and get out of the way. And uh, the next morning, uh, my Commodore was kind enough to fly over on a helicopter and ask me what happened. And I said, look, I just let myself get too tired, and uh, I made a bad decision. And so uh, I tried to do something about that in that tour. Um, but then fast forward another, wasn't very successful, and I'll talk about why later on. But uh, it turns out that uh, through serendipity, kind of like you know the way we met, um, I had a Tiger cruise on USS San Jacinto. A Tiger cruise is when you take the families aboard, you know this, but for the, for the viewers, if they still do them, I guess. Um, and, uh, and so the deal was we'd go to Yorktown, we would pick up the families and drive back the ship back to Norfolk, about a half-day trip. So I get about 200 family members on the ship. We're all dressed up in fancy summer whites. And the uh, line six, the, one of the mooring lines, gets wrapped around the propeller. 
And so we can't get underway. And so now I have a, uh, a ship full of tigers ready to eat. And uh, it's about noontime. We're supposed to be underway. And a supply officer comes up and says, sir, we have another problem. He says, I was going to grill chicken uh, for everybody, but we're in a weapon station. I can't light uh, fires. And so now we have a bunch of hungry tigers who aren't going to get a boat ride. So we put them on, we're about to put them on a, uh, on a bus. And this lady walks up to me and says, uh, hey, Captain, how are you feeling? And I said, do you really want to know? Um, and she says, no. And she holds up this little card. And she goes, well, my name is Leanne Braddock. I run the Navy's operational stress control team, and, uh, and I can help you. And so I said, well, I pointed at the card, it's, and it's, it's green, yellow, red, green, yellow, orange, red. And you've probably seen one of those EOSC cards. And I said, I'm kind of in the orange area. I'm, I'm angry, sad, and depressed. And she goes, I can fix that. And so we, got, we struck up a friendship. Um, and so she introduced me to Dr. Nita Shattuck. Um, and that was, you know, you started to talk about your seeds of triumph, right? It was that meeting that led us to, to do a, a research project on San Jacinto. Um, with a circadian watch bill. Um, so we did it on deployment. We did a seven and a half month deployment. We went on, it was, it was, in this case, it was three hours on, nine hours off. So essentially you have a three hour watch, like six to nine. Then you're off until 1800 and then you come back on for three more hours. But you stay on the same watch every day, right? You don't rotate. And it's a short watch. It's like three hours long. So, uh, so we did that and it was fantastic. I mean, we, it, was, it was truly, I mean, I, I, without... You know, pun intended, it was night and day. It was so different than what people were used to. And uh, so we're like, we have, it's like we cured the common cold, right? So we come back, we write a message, we win the safety award. Uh, Dr. Shattuck and I write an article, won the, the SNA award. So everybody outside the Navy is just in love with this idea. It's only the Navy who was like, eh, we don't do that. And so um, it sort of languished there as kind of a best practice but not policy from 2014 until 2017 when the two collisions happened and tragically 17 sailors lost their lives and written all over those reports was fatigue. And both the Navy and the NTSB said, well, why aren't you guys adopting a circadian watch rotation? And so Dr. Shattuck and I are kind of like, well, duh, we've been saying this for seven years now, but it takes time. You know, the Navy's a big ship with a small rudder. Um, it's one of those yeah. things, you know, there's, we'll come against other examples of this, but, you know, the typical response was something like, well, either A, if it was that good, somebody else would have thought of it, right? Or B, I'm a pretty smart guy. I didn't think of it. Therefore, it can't be a good idea, right? Or C, we don't want to tell people how to suck eggs, so we'll just let them figure it out on their own. And so, uh, but and I'm sure you've experienced some of that in your career. And so at, at the yeah. end of the day, we, uh, we put together what they call the crew endurance team, uh, which was Naval Postgraduate School, some other folks around the country that just built a website, um, started to build documents that supported circadian watches and the importance of sleep, and uh, put together a handbook um, that is now kind of the Navy guidebook on watch standing and, uh, and has become policy. So now um, the submarine force adopted it actually in 2015, um, actually went to an 8 and 16 rotation. So they used to do an 18-hour day, now they do a 24-hour day. And then the surface force adopted it in 2017 and then just updated it a couple of years ago. And so um, one of my uh, motivations for coming back to the, to the government side was, um, you know, sometimes these ideas come and go, right? They're, they're, they're popular for a while and then they fade when the generation who put them in place retires. And I saw an opportunity to come in and kind of cement this in doctrine. And so... 
now every ship has a standing order that includes this. Um, there's uh, training at every part of the basic phase in how to stand, how to, how to sculpt your watch bill. Um, fatigue management. Um, we're changing the way we manage mattresses. There's some pretty cool stuff going on, you know, the way we do lighting and things like that. So um, for the first time, you know, they're starting to value sleep, although there's lots of challenges. You can, as I'm sure um, from, from your experience, uh, manning shortages, um, workload, uh, your shipmates living in the same birthing who are not that nice and, 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 and thoughtful, right? And so there's lots of obstacles, but at least I think, you know, I, I tell people we're five years into a 10-year culture change when this becomes like an aviator would never step in the airplane if they were fatigued. Um, I don't think we're there yet with a surface watch standard, but I, I hope to be there, um, you know, in the next three to five years. So that's kind of what, uh, you know, that, that's my sleep story. It started with just being a stupid midshipman and, uh, and ended with being kind of a, uh, for a long time, I felt like a voice in the wilderness um, and uh, was actually told to stop talking about it one time uh, because it wasn't Navy policy and, and, and people were afraid they'd have to buy more people if, if we went to this. Um, and I still think they should buy more people, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, so it's a, it's a double-edged sword because uh, you have to get the job done, right? And, uh, and our job is stressful and somebody has to be at the, at the helm, you know, 24 seven. Um, but if you think back to those collisions, um, the most important human being on the Fitzgerald that night was the, you know, 27 year old officer of the deck. Um, and if you're tired, you make bad decisions, you know? And so that's what I always come back to. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a battle sometimes against, uh, just the forces of nature and the, uh, the inertia of a large institution. Right. Uh, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think sometimes we can be so critical of the Navy as, as a whole, you know, at large, and we tend to, you know, forget to take into all the different factors and considerations that kind of got us to where we are. So, you know, it's serious. You know, the Navy doesn't do everything right, but how, how nobody, no organization does everything right. Yep. It takes time. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. But I just want to say and point out that that story is awesome. That's amazing. You know, it just goes to show that if you stick to something that you truly believe in, you can make it happen. Like you didn't give up. I love that you said, you know, they told you to stop talking about it, but you didn't because it's something that you believed in. Right. And you knew it to be true and you wanted to help and you actually accomplished that. So that's amazing. Yeah. Well, thanks. I love thanks. that. It was, uh, yeah. Um, it, it's good. It, it's good to be right. It, it, it's not good to be proven right with something as tragic as those collisions. But, uh, you know, um, if, if there's a, if there's a, a lesson there, it's exactly as you said is, uh, is, you know, if you, if you're passionate about something, uh, just stick with it and, uh, it may take, you know, that's what when I when I do this briefing, one of my I was bitching to one of my friends about how long it was taken, and he said, you know, the Chinese proverb: the best time to plant a tree is ten years ago. Um, the second best time is now, and so uh, it it took ten years, you know, to really change to to really get that culture shift um, started, um, even though we're still not there yet. So, um, but it has been good to watch, and uh, and you see, you know, your generation now walking aboard a ship. That's all they know. They don't even know those crazy, stupid watch bills that we did, um, which is kind of dangerous because they haven't seen the bad side of things, you know. 
Um, and you hear yeah. my generation talk, oh, now all they want to do is sleep all the time. And like, no, they just want to sleep seven hours like a normal human, you know. Um, so, right, because science, right? We were human. Right, science right. proves that we need sleep. It's not, a, it's not a surf land instruction that makes you sleep. It's, it's, <laughs> it's you know, your DNA, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, it's a good journey, and it's, uh, it's enjoyable. And uh, um, I'm, I'm glad that it, it's, you know, it's very satisfying to see that it's making a bit of a difference out there. And, you know, I see a lot of um, parallelisms, right, with kind of the trajectory of mental health in the Navy, mm-hmm. right? Um, something that, you know, has always been a problem is now, I don't want to say becoming more of a problem, but there's more programs now and more solutions as the day goes by just recently to try and address these issues that we've known have long existed. Sure, sure. Um, and just like I say, it's a parallelism kind of to what you are doing with sleep. You know, something bad had to happen. And the bad part in the mental health realm is, is all of these suicides, which are very unfortunate right. um, for them to really take a take a good look, good hard look at, you know, what can we do to fix this and address that? And sure. I'm seeing, you know, every year every half year and, you know, even in the, these past, you know, week or two steps taken in the right direction to address this and provide resources for our um, naval force. And I'm just, I'm so happy that it's happening and it truly gives me hope in the same way that your story also gives me hope that we're going to eventually develop policy and doctrine to, to address mental health in, in the Navy. Absolutely. No, I, I think so. And, yeah. uh, you know, to get to your point of, of the change, I think, you know, there's kind of, there's sort of two parts to this puzzle, right? So there's mental health, um, which sort of implies that the opposite is mental illness, right? Kind of like physical health, physical illness. Whereas mental illness is something that, that uh, you know, just like I can't control whether you catch a cold, if you have, and I'm not a mental health expert, right? So I'm not the one of, you know, I'm not a medical person. I don't want to misstep here, but, uh, you know, schizophrenia, dementia, um, paranoia, things like that. Those are, those are mental illnesses, right? A lot of times we use mental health. I, I almost prefer to call it mental fitness, right? Kind of like physical fitness. How do you stay physically fit? You work out, you eat right, you sleep. Um, you know, believe it or not, there are ties between sleep and mental illness, sleep and, and suicide. Um, and so, uh, um, so there's two parts to this. And, and, and you know, you hit on the, a good thing, which is we are, uh, we are addressing the symptoms, right? We've got, uh, there are programs in place now to get to, uh, we'll talk about, you know, operational stress control, warrior toughness, um, the uh, 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 safe talk, some of these programs that are out there to help people deal with stress, help them deal with, you know, we all have baggage, we all have problems, and, and, and coping skills are really, really important. Um, sometimes it feels like what we're not addressing are the root causes, and, and so, you know, um, one of my friends is fond of saying, you know, you guys are really good at putting out fires. What you don't realize is you're the one starting the fires, right? And, uh, and so, you know, what are those root causes? Um, in my mind, um, there's really three. There's, uh, there's just a shortage of, of people. You know, we have, if you look back at the opt-out instruction, there's a formula for how many people it takes to run a ship. And, and that's, if that number is 300, then that's what you need to do the work and the watch, and it's math, right? And then for some reason, because people are so resilient, 
we fund 90% of that and we man the 90% of that. And so you end up with about 85% of the requirement, if you will. Well, if you do the math, if you're supposed to work a 65-hour week or 67, that's another kind of strange thing. You know, join the Navy, work 67-hour weeks. That's the that's the up-nav instruction baseline for your work week. Um, but if I'm at 85%, that becomes an 80-hour week, right? Um, and if you think about it, that's 10 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, you're pretty tired, right? And so... You know, we don't realize that we are inflicting that pain upon our sailors just by the way we don't properly man our ships, right? Um, and it's interesting that a couple of years ago, I would get in a lot of trouble for saying that. Um, now, I think we're, you know, there's a lot of people saying that, and there's some action being taken, but it takes time, right? Um, yeah. But they're really, uh, um, so there's about 25 or 30 more people aboard a destroyer today than there was 10 years ago. But part of that is we had un, uncalculated responsibilities and, and, and work that wasn't accounted for, um, and now it's accounted for, and so we're still adding, you know, to make up for that 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 gap. So that's number one. Uh, number two is uh, is op tempo. Um, you know, I grew up in a navy during the '80s where it pretty much you did six month deployments. You know, you, you might have done two or three in a tour, but typically you weren't gone for more than that. Um, Lately, you throw in COVID and some of the norms now, seven, eight, nine months uh, is kind of uh, almost, you know, normalized. And, uh, you know, what's the breaking point? And we don't know, but we it seems like we're on a journey to find out, you know. And so uh, that level of, of family separation, that level of, of just the, 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 the being on edge, um, you know, out in your neck of the woods, uh, you know, those, those, you know, a piece of the puzzle that a lot of people don't put together with Fitzgerald and McCain. We were pretty close to a shooting war with Korea at the time. And that puts people on a level of stress and a level of, of hey, this could be, you know, my life could be on the line here tomorrow. Um, that just wears you down, right? And so that, I think, plays. And where does that manifest itself when you get back home and your spouse has the broken washing machine and the rent hasn't been paid and kids have been misbehaving and, and you haven't had to deal with that for nine months and now suddenly life comes back. So there's the op tempo um, where we uh, we really have the danger, I think, of burning out our sailors. Um, but then we also laud their resilience when they come back from a nine-month deployment. We're like, hey, nice job. Well, okay. But just because I survived, you know, don't make me do it again. Um, and so that's the other piece. And uh, the third piece um and I know I'm kind of deviating from the script a little bit here, but uh, I think the third piece is, is, is what some people would call toxic leadership or negative leadership, where, you know, they always talk about you don't quit your job, you quit your boss. Um, and, uh, you know, it's an it, interesting dynamic. When I retired, I went. And you say they, they always talk about uh -huh. it. I wanted just to point out that that's in the civilian sector and the military oh, absolutely. sector. Because, yeah, taking I've taken a couple of civilian leadership courses now, uh -huh. and they they say the same thing. So, you know, while we do live in this bubble um, who are currently serving of the military, it's also uh, worthy to point out, like, no, the civilians also face these same struggles no, when you're it right. comes yeah, to it's funny. and mental health. Yeah, you know, my, my dad yeah. did 30 years in the Navy, and you know, but he came in at 17, retired at 47, so he went back to work. And uh, he quit like three jobs because he's like, you know, I really thought all the assholes were in the Navy, but there's a lot of them out here, you know. And uh, and so, um, 
Yeah, it's it's you know if if people have power and they're, they're unchecked, they can become uh, you know kind of a negative leader. But I, I do think though in the military, and maybe it goes back to thing one and thing two. When I'm undermanned, I'm overstressed, I'm underslept. Um, I become you know kind of it's like the guy without the Snickers bar. You know, you don't like me when I'm hungry, <laughs> um, but that's your boss, right? And so um, we continue to see. Um, it was interesting when I retired and went to work in a civilian company, a defense contractor. One of the first, the first thing I noticed was they had really nice bathrooms. Like all the Navy bathrooms are just horrible, right? You get tetanus in there. Um, I was working in a building with, you know, ceramic tile and 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 and, and marble and, and nice fixtures and toilets you could sit on without, you know, and uh, that was really cool. Now I'm back in the government. It's about the same old crappy crappers again, but but. The other thing I know, people were just nice to each other. Like I would go to work for weeks and not hear a cuss word, not hear a raised voice. And it was just different. Um, and so I think there's this military bravado of I have to just kind of be a jerk um, to get the job done. And uh, unfortunately, um, if you're a jerk and you're the captain or department head, you can inflict a or lot. Or like of- you mentioned these, these levels of stress and up to yeah. flow, you know, and lack of sleep, they are, they're going through that too. Absolutely. So that probably has something to do with it yeah, as both well. Both the subordinate and the supervisor. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately um, in the military, we tend to reward um, external success. So a ship that's, that's just, you know, hitting all the marks and operationally sound, um, you know, may have a terrible climate, but it doesn't show because, People are just being driven out of fear rather than, and I, I don't think there's as much of that as there was when I'm growing up, but you see examples of it still. And, uh, and so I think those three things, that combination of, uh, you know, the lack of manning, which leads to overwork, which leads to stress, which leads to kind of a toxic workplace, um, can really add up. And, uh, and so that's the danger if you don't address the root causes, you're just putting out the same fire and starting another one tomorrow. Um, and, uh, and so I think uh, that's part of the story anyway. But, but to your point, um, you know, the, the stigma, the, the, uh, the treatment of mental health um, and the treatment of stress and, and dealing with it has been, the Navy has doubled down. Uh, warrior toughness being caught at boot camp, you know, how to, and it sounds kind of hokey sometimes, but really it, it's all about, um, you know, building up that resilience and that toughness to face adversity because you may end up having to run into a burning part of the ship to rescue the ship. You may have to plug a hole when the, when the ocean's coming in, you know. Nobody else, had, the car salesman down the street doesn't have to do that, you know, and so. And I think, I think a lot of people, they think that that resilience piece or that, that bravery, that courage is something that you're born with. Right. And, and they, they tend to, to disbelieve that it can be taught or instilled within you. But I 100% do believe that it can be taught. Um, and sometimes that comes with, you know, just repetitions and training, yeah. right? Yeah. So putting yourself in these situations um, where you do have to endure stress, but then they also give you the tools how to deal with it. So over time, you become more resilient. It's almost like weightlifting, right? You you lift weights and you get calluses, yep. Yep. Um, but then they heal. And then the next time, 
you know, you make it less of a callus right, and it heals. Right. And so eventually, because you keep doing those reps, now you're fully tough. You know, you weren't just born with callus hands that are resistant to that, that, you know, uh, rough texture. So I, I don't know. I, I just, you, you do know more about the warrior toughness program. And so I just kind of wanted to say that, um, to see what your thoughts were, you know, on the fact that it, it can be taught. No, I think, I mean, I'm a perfect example. I grew up, you know, I was, uh, uh, you know, high school, straight A's, editor of the paper, you know, I, I, nobody yelled at me, nobody challenged me, nobody, I never felt like I couldn't do something until I got into the military and suddenly I couldn't keep up, uh, couldn't do as many push-ups as I needed to, I couldn't get the grades that I needed to, and, uh, and I was not tough, you know, like I said, I called home and said, Dad, I quit, and he's like, okay, um, but it was my shipmates and my classmates that sort of bucked me back up. Um, and, uh, and made me tougher to the point where, you know, 30 years later, I can command a warship during a, during a war and, uh, and, and, and launch Tomahawk missiles, uh, realize they're going to kill somebody, you know, and, uh, and at any moment we could hit a mine and we might have to fight through it. You know, um, I didn't mention this in my bio, but I was the executive officer of USS Cole, um, and left there in March of 2000. But those were my shipmates who were killed in that bombing. Um, I worked for Captain Lippold. I was his XO. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. If you ever get a chance to talk to him, uh, he'd be a great guest to bring on the show. Um, he says that uh, when, the, when, the bomb, when the bomb went off and the ship was, you know, in danger of being lost, um, it wasn't necessarily the EP sailors who put on an SCBA and dove underwater to save a shipmate or, or you know, the damage patrolman who said, hey, Captain, the flooding's coming in the port side. We can't pump it out the starboard side because we're listing. I need to cut a hole in the hull to pump the water out. And the captain's like, you got to be out of your mind. He goes, well, other than that, we're going to sink. And so they did. And so, um, you know, he'll tell you that there were there were people that had great fit reps who I didn't see them for two days. They crawled in their rack and hid. Um, and there were people, there was one sailor that I had taken XOI. Um, who won the, the, the it's called the Homer Cathcart Award for Damage Control Excellence by saving uh, uh, some shipmates. So you never know when 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 really the, the chips are down, um, who's going to you know run towards the fire and who's going to run away. Um, but part of it is I think you can train for that because it becomes what you're used to, you know. And so I, I'll never forget the one sailor because I was I was always kind of the softy as the XO and Cap Lippold was the hard ass. And, uh, and very stringent and very, you know, focused. Um, and I remember one day I said to him that, uh, you know, hey, sir, you know, this is really impacting the sailor's quality of life. And he says, XO, quality of life means coming home alive. Um, that's what I'm about. And, uh, and so one of the sailors that I met at the, at the memorial service after the bombing, he goes, you know, when we were crossing the Atlantic, the captain did GQ every night at like midnight, one in the morning. And we just, we thought he was insane. Like we wanted to kill him. Um, had we not done that, we would have lost the ship, you know, um, cause they came very close. So I think, uh, that mental toughness, um, you know, we forget that in wartime you better have it or you got no place to run. Right. Um, so that's why they're doing warrior toughness now. Um, operational stress control is sort of at the other end of the spectrum is, you know, how do I, I know I'm going to have stressful. So how do I prepare myself to work through stress? Um, uh, whether it's, you know, breathing or meditation or, um, you know, how do I sort of focus on the mission at hand and not the, you know, whatever's causing me to stay up at night, et cetera. So they're all, they complement each other. Um, 
And, uh, you know, but unfortunately, I mean, they're sort of treating the symptoms, um, but you're never going to have a military without stress, right? And so the more we can get the people that join the military to to learn those skills, like you said, uh, I think the better. And they'll be better off after they leave, too, right? Um, when they're working at a... Exactly. You know, That's... <laughs> It sounds weird to say, but it's also it's like another benefit, right, to having served. It's like, okay, now you are more resilient. You know, you may have came into it and had to face some really challenging times, but afterwards, <laughs> while it may have sucked, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully you came out of it tougher. Right, right. Well, it's funny, my, uh, my dad, <laughs> so my dad was in World War II, and uh just they got out of boot camp as the war ended. So he was on a ship sailing towards Japan when the war ended. So he turned around and came home and kicked him out. He went back to the farm in Georgia, you know, one of nine kids on a, on a, on a potato farm and spent about a year. There. He's like, this sucks. I want to join the Navy again. So he went back in the Navy, but they made him go back through boot camp again, right? And so part of boot camp was to jump off of this 30-foot uh, ladder into the pool. And this one sailor um, just said, I'm not doing it. And, uh, and they're like, well, if you don't do it, you can't graduate. And, and they said, well, I'm not doing it. And he goes, well, what are you going to do if your ship gets hit? And he says, well, in the war, when I was on a ship that got hit, the first one, I waited till the water was up to my knees, and I just swam away. And the second one, I was blown in the air about 100 feet, and I landed in the water clear of the debris. And the, the chief is like, okay, you don't have to jump. You know, so, um, you know, some of your civilian experience is kind of pale in comparison to what you put up with in the military. But I think it does put you in good stead. But uh, um, but it's glad to see that we're kind of consciously training those skills now. Um, and, and we'll see if it pays off. I think it will. Yeah. And, you know, um, I want to go back to the part where you talked about um, being the XO of the USS Cole. So one of my recent interviews with, with was with um, now he's a Master Chief Ponciano. And he was a seaman on board that ship at the time. Okay. And yeah, and he actually told me that, you know, he, he actually runs the Warrior Toughness Program for um, uh, 10th Fleet. So he goes out to different okay. commands and teaches the program now. But we talked about um, resiliency and kind of that toughness mindset um, during his time aboard the USS Cole. And he told me that because they were doing all those drills and repetitions and environment that they were in, they were more prepared and equipped to handle that, that stressful time. Yep. Um, and he says he's very grateful for that. So, you know, sometimes we have to change our mindset and, and reframe some of the things that we're feeling. Right. And it, it could be a benefit because if you are out somewhere deployed and your leadership is, is running you through these drills, you know, it's for a reason, right? right? Because they know something you don't know. And while they do need to factor in sleep, right? And stress. Yeah. I, I would like to hope and think that they are running you through these drills to build up your toughness, to prepare you for something that's to come. Right. Well, it goes back to the idea of mental fitness, right? I mean, how do you get physically fit by working out, by lifting weights, by running? Um, and how do you get mentally fit by, by doing those mental exercises of, hey, what if, you know? I still remember crossing the Atlantic on Sanjak and uh, this young Lieutenant JG off to the deck. Um, it's nighttime. It's in a big storm. It's like 30 foot waves and about 50 knot winds. And, and, uh, and he looks at me, this 23 year old ensign. He's like, Hey captain. I said, yeah. He goes, 
just occurred to me, we could die. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, like we could sink out here. I'm like, well, you know, it's kind of late to figure that out, shipmate. But yeah, ships have sunk, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but it just never occurred to him that, you know, you feel invincible at that age. Um, but it does happen, you know. And so, uh, so I'm glad to see that. You know, the other piece of the puzzle is, you know, you talk about mental health, sort of, you know, getting help. So there's the, there's the toughness, there's the resiliency. It's kind of on the, on the left-hand side. But for some of us, it becomes too much. And, uh, and, and you reach a breaking point where you say, look, I just can't deal with this anymore. Um, and it may come from work. It may come from home. It may be both. Um, and so, uh, you know, um, where we didn't do well for a long time was, you know, I'll go to the doctor for a cough or a cold or a fever, but if I'm mentally not myself, I'm not, you know, A, I'm not going to take the time off and admit that I might not have my act together. And B, that's not going to be well accepted in the workplace. And so I think we're, we're still on a path to there. We talk a good talk, but, you know, part of it is I don't think, uh, you know, first of all, um, most of us sort of come from a place where it's going to happen to somebody else, but not to me, right? And so when it does happen to somebody else, it's like, well, you know, what's wrong with them that they're having that problem and, and I'm not? When you might actually be, you just don't know it. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I consider myself fairly mentally tough after all these years. Um, but you know, a couple years ago I had a, an episode where, you know, I sort of broke and, uh, I was going to tell that story, but I wanted to you know, make sure that we finished your thoughts on the other stuff before I sort of get into that discussion. Yeah, no, um, that's perfect, sir. I mean, John. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. No. Um, my surnames are my, my wife reminds me all the time. I'm not one of your semen, you know. Uh, I'm like, I was just asking. So anyway, um, so uh, yeah, so here I am, you know, um, I was away from the force for six years and, uh, and came back to work with the fleet. And, uh, and I was sitting through, uh, this was during COVID, so it wasn't really, you know, not the best uh so, you know, there's, there's stress there. You know, my wife was high, was a high risk person. And, and so, uh, there was a little bit of stress at home. And, uh, so I go in for our annual suicide training and, uh, and it was one of those things where, um, you know, you log on to teams or whatever, and they're showing some PowerPoint slides and, uh, the person given the training was sort of, you know, a chief who had been assigned as the coordinator and, uh, didn't really have a, uh, a lot of empathy and kind of said, okay, slide one, we care about you. Slide two, don't kill yourself. Slide three, you know, life is stressful. Um, and then it, that's the problem. Right. And then, so at some point this young, uh, uh, voice on the phone, right. Cause we were all doing it remotely. She goes, well, so chief, what if I've had those thoughts? And when I reported them, I got bullied. Um, and, and, and that just made me have more of those thoughts. And, uh, and, uh, and so the chief goes, well, wait, this is just training. So, you know, you need to have that conversation with somebody else. And, uh, and I kind of lost it. I was like, hey, you know, you can't just tell somebody who's expressing suicidal ideations to, you know, get over it um, during Navy suicide training. And so, um, so I leave that discussion and I said, hey, you know, here's my phone number. Give me a call. Um, and, uh, and so I spoke to the young sailor. She had come from a ship and was at our command. And so I go into a meeting about mental health, right? And we're talking about it. And, and during the meeting, I brought up that situation. 
Um, and one of the senior people in the room said, basically, uh, well, that, that's the best we can do right now. Um, and, uh, and, and I just lost my mind. I just stood up, you know, the Admiral was there, the chief of staff, a bunch of captains and, and I'm new, I've been to the command like two months. Right. Um, and I let fly a couple of expletives and I said, you know, I, I just can't, I can't do this. And so I stormed out of the room and, uh, went out to my car. And uh, I sat there for about an hour and I came back in. I walked right into the Admiral. I said, I need some time off. And he said, okay, you got it. So I took two weeks, talked to a chaplain, a therapist, and kind of got myself, got my head straight. And uh, then I come back to work to find out that my sick leave was disapproved because they can only approve sick leave for the time I'm in the doctor's office for mental health counseling, not the two weeks that I took off to get my head straight. So they've docked me two weeks of annual leave. Um, at which point I sort of lost it again and I went back to the chief of staff and said, Hey, that's not right. And he goes, yeah, you're right. We shouldn't do that. And so my point is that we still haven't figured out how to treat a mental situation like we do a physical situation. No one would have questioned two weeks sick leave for a broken ankle. Right. Um, but you know, taking sick leave for mental health and was just honestly, off the page, right? It sounds like what you were experiencing was a result of their inaction and how they handled something because yeah. that was conflicting with your morals and your values and what you were taught to do as a human and as a person. Right. So that's insane. Right. They kind of call that a moral injury. You know, I, I read that term the other day, it, right? Yep. Um, yep. And I was just talking with a couple people about that I, on I a that. previous yep. I saw, episode. I, I, yeah. I didn't watch the episode mm -hmm. yet, but I, I did see the content and, uh, and so I don't know if it, maybe it doesn't rise to that level, but I felt like, you know, here's a sailor that needs help. And we're saying, we're sorry, we just can't make it happen. Um, and, uh, and so, so I think, um, when it comes to people that reach that breaking point, um, you know, we have to give them a way back. Right. Um, and unfortunately a lot of times we, it feels like the doors open and they're out of the Navy. Um, and then you also have some folks that are like, well, I, I could, you know, I suppose there's a Facebook page on how to act crazy to get out of the Navy. Um, right. So I think my point is if you're going to do that, I don't want you anyway, you know, um, on my ship. But, uh, I think just like we let people take time to heal physically and come back to work, we have to find a way to get them the help they need, get them back to, to a good place and then bring them back in. Because as you know, part of what keeps you mentally fit is, is a sense of belonging and a sense of camaraderie and a sense of contribution. Right. And so if you lose that, then it's just a spiral until next thing you know, you're out on the street, you know. Um. And one thing I want to mention with that, too, is I was talking to someone else um, who was a retired Army combat veteran. And he his mission now that he's retired is to prevent suicide by preventing isolation. OK. And he brought up a good point that isolation is one of the other contributing factors Absolutely. to suicide. Right. And it kind of goes hand in hand with, you know, that sense of belonging being one of the ways to prevent it. And then that isolation being one of the causing factors. Absolutely. And so when we take that in consideration, we really have to do our best to support our sailors and also prevent them from isolating. Absolutely. And that all ties into, you know, sense of team, unity, respect. Right, right. So that, yeah. that's where I think, uh, you know, a couple of the things, as you mentioned, that are fairly new that have come out. Um, the mental health handbook that was just published by my Navy HR, a couple of my friends worked on that. 
um, has some really good, and it gets into the whole leadership thing of, hey, you know, how, how are you doing? Um, the, the Human Factors Council, where you sort of ask people, are you in a good place mentally? And how do we deal with that? You know, so those are great things. Um, you just saw, uh, I think you might have seen the new uh, suicide military suicide report that came out that talks about causal factors and things like that. And um, I did, and I wanted to point out that their number one um, fix, right, to solving these issues was leadership. Right. To develop yep. leadership. Yep. Develop leaders yeah. that have empathy, that can, that can speak to it. Um, I should mention that sleep was one of their highlighted, uh, you know, eight hours of sleep in 24, um, because that's a tie to mental health and suicide. Um, there was a lot of stuff in there about, you know, career paths and things like that, that are very, very hard to address, but a lot of them can be addressed at the deck plate level, um, simply by, you know, having empathy, um, and, uh, and understanding what's making people tick and, and why, what upsets you may not upset me, but it still matters. Right. And so, uh, so I think that, you know, I think we're, you know, I don't know if you've been through any of the intellect courses, the Naval Leadership, uh, Education courses, um, there's a lot of those for officers. There's not a lot for enlisted, um, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, that is very if I was going to point to a couple of big gaps, I think, um, one is, um, and, uh, and of course, who am I telling this to? Um, but we invest a heck of a lot in our officers, um, in, in the leadership domain, um, that we don't invest in the enlisted force in terms of time. Right. I go to a two week course as a department head, XO, CO, just to talk about leadership. You have to sign on to some website and fill out a form and listen to somebody do a PowerPoint and then somebody signs it off. Um, but are you really paying attention? Are you learning? Um, are you engaged? Uh, it's really not a good delivery method. I know they're trying to change that. Um, but, uh, you know, I think uh, because really, you know, the vast majority of our Navy is led by a senior enlisted person, right? Um, and so there's always a filter between the captain and the, and the, and the second class or the first class and the seaman, the chief's mess or whatever. And so if, if those folks aren't getting trained in leadership, then you're going to fail, right? And so that's a gap. Uh, I think that gap is recognized, um, but it's tough to fill and it costs money, right, and, uh, and time. But, you know, there's, there's probably no better investment than investing in your people. So hopefully we'll fill that gap. Um, the other piece that, uh, that I'm, I'm advocating for now is, uh, you know, the suicide sort of training, right, which is teaching people. But um, I've, I've taken and become an instructor for a, a class called Safe Talk. I don't know if you've heard of it or been through it. Mm -hmm, um, and so mm -hmm. my motivation was go back to 2010 or 2011, I went through the major command pipeline with a bunch of, you know, peers, uh, one of whom uh, struck up a, a, a close a, a friendship with. Uh, and then he went to, to destroyer squadron command. I went to a cruiser, but we would meet once a week for a cup of coffee just to kind of see what's going on. And uh, I went and met with him. Uh, his name was Wade. And uh, on a Tuesday, and I just noticed he was kind of out, out of sorts couple of his ships had done poorly he got yelled at by somebody and he was uh he was you know on an upward path um in the navy very well thought of just a, a gentleman just a very very empathetic nice guy they took it really hard um and i had a cup of coffee with him on tuesday i still remember going home and telling my wife that hey my friend you know was really down today um well the next night he hung himself in the barracks um, and so you don't think of a Navy captain who's got, you know, family and a fantastic career, 
being suicidal, but he was, he was a geographic bachelor. He was focused on, you know, really pouring everything into the career. Um, and I don't know what else was going on, but, uh, but, you know, he, yeah, and then I, and, and so what could you do about that? And I think what the safe talk class does is it teaches you to address that head on and say, you know, Hey, are you thinking about suicide? Are you thinking about harming yourself? And so, um, I think that, uh, that, you know, it's, again, it's, it's a way over on the, on the symptom side. Um, but if you are isolated and you are thinking about that, you probably come in contact with a peer at some point who might be able to say, Hey, should mate, come with me. I'll get you to medical. I'll get you to the chaplain, whatever. And so I think we're, uh, you see that coming out of the, uh, the, the recent suicide reports that a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of commands are, are, are pulling up that, those courses to, to really, to teach people how to deal with an individual in that, in that situation and save their life. Right. Um, and, uh, I, I think eventually they'll mandate it, I think, but for right now it's still kind of voluntary. So again, back to the sleep thing, it's like, okay, we know it's a good idea, but you know, we want to wring our hands and we don't want to make people do it. Um, but, uh, and, and then I hear a very dangerous narrative sometimes. There's two things that, 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 that sort of get me irked about the suicide discussion when senior people talk about it. One is, well, we're about the same as the civilian population, right? Um, which, okay. That's true if you read the, the sure. reports that come out annually from the DOD, sure, yeah. But, but it's true, but that doesn't make it okay, right? Um, in fact, I think if you look at the demographic of the Navy, um, we might be a little bit worse as far as, you know, the, the, the 20 to 24-year-old male who's like the most likely, because um, that's, you know, our population. But, uh, um, and the other one is, well, you know, it's only 75 sailors a year. So, I mean, uh, it's 0.01% of the population. Okay. Um, but get real, get better. Right. 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 <laughs> but if you're the father of one of those sailors, um, and you know, the other thing is, and I think this is true that, uh, you know, the, the studies show that suicidal ideations tend to sort of be work stress related kind of you know, hey, my job sucks, my life sucks, you know, blah, blah, blah. Suicides tend to really be personal, the relationship, uh, you know, someone just went to mass, someone had a very uh, a significant life event that, that just drives them to suicide and they actually execute. Where they feel like they can't bounce back from right. it or recover right. from it. Or they it. feel like they've become so much of a burden that, you know, the world would be better off without me kind of thing. And, uh, and so... Um, but I still, I mean, somehow from my experience, despite, despite not being a medical person, I have to think that when you add those types of thoughts to the level of stress that we impose upon our sailors and sleep deprivation, that, uh, you know, we're certainly not making it better. Um, and so we're somehow, you know, we're a little bit complicit in some of that, uh, some of those things. Yeah, and I, I don't want to ever hear... And I hope I don't ever have to hear somebody of a, of a higher rank, right, say, oh, well, it's only this number, you know, oh, well, it's it's just about the same as civilian population, because it's like I mentioned, right, I shouted out, get real, get better, right? That's one of the Navy's initiatives to, yep. to, to fix not just mental health, but everything. Right. And, and saying those types of things doesn't support that message, because right. when we're at, at one or two, that's still bad. Yeah, yeah, we can yeah. always do better and get to zero. Yeah. And, and so. you could prevent them on the left side by teaching them, you know, hopefully, toughness and resilience. And you could prevent them on the right side by training everybody in the Navy to recognize the signs and just ask, right? And because, uh, you know, supposedly, from the, from the research that I've done, 
you know, about 75 to 80% of those, even those who, who culminate the act, still kind of were that close to changing their minds, you know, and it just becomes something a spur of the moment, you know, when they've already got it close. But so I think that's a piece of the puzzle there that I hope we can address um, and uh, and sort of center up on on some strategies that are that are broader for the entire force and not reinvent something when there's things they're not perfect, but they're but they're they seem to be very effective. And there is evidence of uh, of these forces that when they're used broadly, that they do decrease the the general you know population rate of suicide. So, um, but you know, there's a whole another thing we haven't talked about in the in the stress and uh, domain is the whole, uh, you know, obviously over the last few years, uh, diversity and inclusion, DEI, sexual harassment, sexual assault, um, all those things are, have seen an uptick over the past few years. Um, maybe not for the same reasons that we talked about, but somehow might maybe related. Um, but, but, you know, there's, there's, now you start to talk about, you know, what's the culture out there? Um, and, you know, statistically, as a female sailor, you know, you have a one in 10 chance of being sexually assaulted this year, right? That's pretty abysmal, you know, um, and, uh, and probably a one in, what is it, four chance of being sexually harassed. Um, and so, uh, and even as a man, it's, it's not, it's, it's smaller, but it's not zero. And so, uh, you know, you talk about get real, get better. Um, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. We have an article coming out here pretty soon talking about the Navy's report and how just stunning it is that, 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 that those numbers are just, and they're going up and, and, and are you talking about the health force survey report that recently yes, came out? It was a, uh, um, well, it was the DOD uh, sexual assault, sexual harassment report. Oh, that and one. then they, you know, that was, uh, was pretty bad. And SECNAV ordered an independent review council, um, that made some pretty sweeping recommendations about leadership was the first paragraph is, Hey, leaders are not paying attention to what's going on in their workplaces, right? That was the number one finding. Um, but then they talked about training. They talked about accountability. They talked about, uh, you know, um, investigations. And, and, and so a lot of tangible steps that could be taken. Um, and yet the numbers just keep going up. And so, um, and, you know, I would, and, and, you know, diversity and inclusion, um, there's, there's, you know, there's policies out there. There, there's, there's challenges. If I'm a person of color, LGBT community, um, that uh, that deal with things. You know, I had a great, great analogy at a DEI symposium last year. That, uh, you know, some of us have a pretty flat course to run, and some of us have to run an obstacle course. And uh, and so those of us that have the flat course ought to recognize that to keep up with me, that other person has to work twice as hard. And that could apply to, you know anybody um and uh you know somebody pointed out to me today that as a white male i'm actually part of the global minority because uh, globally um you know there's there's a lot more other races or, or, or demographics right. than, than white um, folks so it's interesting um but i think you know at the end of the day if i'm being discriminated against harassed assaulted um what's the end effect stress right um I, uh, I feel less of a person trauma and uh, and so again those are those all contribute to that that same in state of people not feeling part of the team people not feeling that they belong feeling isolated um, mm -hmm. and uh, and then you know, the worst statistic to me in that report was that one in three experience retaliation or retribution when they make a report 
And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's, that just speaks volumes about our, 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 our Navy culture. Um, and, and not in a good way. So, you know, in my mind, if there ever was a get real, get better moment, you know, that's the topic. Um, right. And so, uh, um, but, uh, but that would require a lot of introspection that I'm, you know, I'm hopeful, but not convinced that we're capable of, you know, quite frankly, things have to get, things have to get real ugly before they can get better. And, right. uh, they, these, these ugly problems exist. But I don't think that they've been been brought up to the surface to where it's ugly enough to warrant higher level change. Right. Right. Unfortunately. And, you know, but I was just going to say, please. but until we get the change, there are things that we can do as service members yep. individually. Right. Um, male or female, whatever age, race, gender you are, is by one, knowing the policies uh, two, feeling empowered, right, to act on those policies yep. and the knowledge that you have, because knowledge is going to protect you. I, as some of us, you know, you may not believe that it does, it will. And then you have to have support, right? You have to have support from your leadership and the right people on your team. People like like John or myself or um, o- other people that I've spoken to, right, that are big advocates for standing up for what's right, not just mental health, but just doing the right thing. Yep. yep. So you can protect yourself until until time goes by, and we we are equipped as a large organization to to address these issues. But like we so, like like we said in the beginning, right, John? It's just going to take time. No, absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn a lot, posting all kind of crazy stuff, and uh, um, one of the uh, we're talking about culture. And somebody posted that uh, I've always thought I've always remembered this. He said, uh, "I don't know who it was. I can't find the posting now." But he says, "You you don't change a culture by signing out an instruction. You change a culture by the individual actions of every member of the culture on a day to day basis." And uh, and I think that's the most important thing that uh, you know my generation is not going to change the way the Navy treats its sailors. Um, it's going to have to be from your generation not accepting it. Um, and, uh, and I think the other piece that we don't realize is we talk about a retention crisis. Well, I'm sorry, if I leave the military because I was sexually harassed or I was discriminated against, or I was, you know, in a toxic leadership condition or my mental health went unaddressed, um, I go back to high school. I am not a poster child for, you know, signing up to the Navy. Right. And so it's a self-inflicted wound that if we don't treat our people well, they're going to poison the well for us. And, uh, well, you know, and that's already happening on forums like Reddit. Um, you have this new to the Navy uh, subreddit, right, where uh, people that are interested in joining the Navy get on there and ask these questions. And then you have, because of our generation, right, we're on the computer, we're behind the keyboard, we, right. we have internet. So they go on there and they tell their personal accounts of what's going on in the Navy. And that is hurting our retention. Yeah, absolutely. So what did you say in the beginning? You said that, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. Right. And then the second best time is now. Right. Well, like that's essentially what you're saying now. It's like us, right? The people of yep. this Navy, our generation, yep. let's plant that tree. Cause yep. and it may be 10 years. We weren't here right. 10 years ago. Um, yeah. Now flip side of that. So, uh, uh it was kind of funny. I'm flying to Atlanta to uh, help my mom out, uh, moving into assisted living. And I sit yet next to a young African-American guy, you know, 
tattoos, hoodie, uh, you know, earphones in. And, uh, and uh, I have this weird thing that I always talk to the poor person sitting next to me on the plane. And so about halfway through the trip, they brought the drinks and stuff. And uh, I said, uh, I said, uh, so where are you headed? He goes, Atlanta. I said, uh, to do what? He goes, I'm going home. I said, where are you from? He goes, well, I'm from here, but I just went through uh, boot camp and, uh, and, and uh, joined the Navy. And I uh, just finished uh, A school out in San Diego, and I'm headed back to, to a ship. And we get chatting a little bit, and, uh, you know, he was really upbeat. And uh, we got to talk, you know, asked what I did. I spent 30 years in, and he's like, wow. Um, and, uh, you know, we didn't really have a long conversation, but here's this young person who is uh, just, you know, excited and, and ready to go. And so um, the last thing you want to do is extinguish that flame with a, with a workplace that is, uh, you know, not contingent to, to productivity and, and treating people like, like people. And that's where I think when we treat our people like a commodity, like we'll just get more. Well, we really won't, right? Because um, like you said, we're, we're, we're poisoning the well. And so, uh, so there's definitely hope. I mean, um, uh, I mean, just you and I talking, uh, I'm sitting here wondering why isn't this person, you know, wearing a lieutenant's uniform at the Naval Postgraduate School, right? Um, but, uh, but, you know, the sky's the limit, right? And, uh, and, and you don't have to be an officer to make a difference and you don't have to be senior to make a difference. You set a tone in your workplace, um, and you expect people to live up to it. And, uh, you know, it was funny when I was in Oscar Austin, um, I kicked out a bunch of people for drugs and some other things. And, uh, and we also won the golden anchor retention award. So within a week, I got a message saying that I had the worst attrition of any ship on the waterfront. Um, and, you know, you must be doing something really bad. Um, and then a week later, we won the retention award for retaining the most because they, they count kind of different. Um, but my master chief came up and he goes, well, you know, you know what's happening, right, Captain? And he goes, yeah, the, the good sailors see you kicking out the dirt bags and they say, this is a place I want to work, you know. Um, because we value performance. And so uh, I kept those two messages in the same binder. One's kind of a, one's an attaboy and one's an, you know, um, and so, uh, but you have to set that tone that, uh, that, Hey, every single person on the ship is important and, uh, and, and get to know your folks and understand that, you know, this person, you know, some things make you tick and some things make me tick and, uh, and you have to accommodate that. I think a lot of times outside the military, they look at the military and think, well, they just, you just tell people what to do and they do it. Um, and, uh, that'll work for the Russians maybe, but, uh, it's not going to work in, in, with, with your generation who wants to know why. Exactly. Right? Um, and so my generation complains that, oh, they don't, you know, all they want to do is sleep and, and, and don't want to work. And, um, you know, it's funny, a lot of folks, if my peers, what y'all sailors do is play video games all the time. Well, I've been on three ships now in this job. Um, what I saw sailors doing was standing watch, doing maintenance and sleeping. Um, I, I don't think I saw a single video game, you know? Um, so we have this perception of, uh, of, and, and I think we forget how, you know, sometimes stupid and lazy we were, when we were that age. And, uh, you know, I did some pretty stupid stuff when I was an ensign and, uh, and we forget about that as we get older, you know, we look back, we, we were a lot smarter, uh, in our minds than we were in real life, you know? Um, but I look at that young man on the plane or someone like you and I'm like, Hey, we're, you know, we'll be okay. Right. Um, but I think you, you have to, you have to challenge people sometimes and you have to kind of, um, 
but I, I guess the last thing I'll say, and then I'll shut up because I know I've been babbling for a long time, is uh, you have to take care of yourself, right? Um, you cannot take care of the people that are working for you if uh, if you don't keep yourself mentally and physically fit. And so, um, you know, we have this thing. Uh, I remember a speech from an admiral that I was listening to one time. He told a bunch of prospective commanding officers. He goes, look, the whole Navy career, you've heard ship, ship, mate, self. Ship, ship, mate, self. Right? He goes, I'm here to tell you, when you lead people, you have to flip that. You have to start taking care of yourself first. You have to get up in the morning and work out. You have to eat a nutritious breakfast. you got to get a good night's sleep. Um, and you may be saying, well, hey, if I do that, I can't work like I'm supposed to. I can't get all my work done. Well, okay, but if you get yourself in a position where you're too tired, too, too worn out, too out of shape, um, too mentally stressed um, to make a good decision, um, then, uh, then you're going to hurt somebody and, uh, and you could lose the crew. And so I think, uh, you know, that would be kind of my last little, uh, sort of tidbit that I had to learn the hard way is, uh, if you do not value your own well-being, um, when you go to take that watch, um, you would never take the watch drunk, right? Um, why would you take it fatigued? Why would you, you know, so that personal responsibility comes back to you. Um, and nobody's going to make that decision for you. And I think that's the piece that I think sometimes gets lost in the discussions of these is uh, at the end of the day, uh, there's a German saying, if we each take care of ourselves, we'll all be taken care of. Right. Um, but you kind of have to start there. You have to start with yourself and, uh, and and look at your own life and look at your sleep patterns, look at your workout patterns, look at your how you deal with people. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not rocket science, but. But uh, we tend to, to promote selflessness, um, but selflessness is not self-neglect, right? And so uh, um, you got to take care of yourself. And um, I 100% I agree, and I think it's worth pointing out as well, like part of taking care of yourself is advocating for yourself and raising your hand and speaking up when something's not right. Right, right. Nope, nope. So if you're tired... Like we can relate it back to that. If you're tired, then tell somebody that you're tired. Right, right. And if you're a pilot, people won't even look askance. They'll say, "Okay, thank you for pointing." I don't want a tired pilot flying me, you know, flying me from Atlanta to Norfolk tomorrow, right? Um, and so uh, you shouldn't take the watch. You shouldn't. You shouldn't take a weapon. Um, and so that's the mindset. I think um, the same with mental health. The same with you know stress is uh, if your mind is not right, um, then you know, you're not going to do a good job. You're not going to be a safe watchstander. And so, but we also, like you said, we need to deal with that and get people back to a good place and then put them back to work where they have that, that support and that, that, that contribution, that inclusion, you know? So, uh, yeah, but no, I, I think, you know, like, like you said, there's nothing new here, but I think there is a change that I think people are talking about it and people, and we are putting out, you know, help, and, 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 and starting to fund more billets and things like that uh, in the mental health domain, in the, you know, sexual harassment uh, training and investigators and a lot of good stuff going on. And so, yeah, and, and, and for the listeners, right, that might be junior doctor, Dr. Cordell, Mr. John, John is not blowing smoke like he's involved at the higher levels and he has friends that are making these things happen. So when he tells us that it's happening, believe him and it just it gives me so much excitement and hope that we are going in a 
positive direction. No, I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm excited to see the discussion. Um, I think there needs to be more discussion um, and uh, and more introspection of, okay, we, you know, we're not just going to check a block. You know, I look at the, uh, the, the operational stress control program. Um, you know, the challenge with that is a lot of these programs are sort of, I call them attacks, right? So I'm going to take you off a ship, send you to a two-day school, and then I want you to come teach this class in your spare time when you're a gunner's mate or a ET or, or whatever. And, uh, and, you know, some people weren't cut out to be, you know, sort of human emotion instructors. Yeah. Um, Hence the guy given that suicide prevention training. Exactly. <laughs> right. Who probably landed in the job because the guy before him had it and, uh, and wanted a fit rep bullet. Um, or, or, you know, they actually mandate that training um, that ha it has to be facilitated by an E7 or above which I don't particularly like that um, barrier that they put interesting, on Interesting, interesting. Well, I think mm -hmm. in this case it was an E7 for what that's worth. But uh, um, I think the most important thing is, you know, it, it ought to be taught ideally by someone who's dealt with it, either, you know, in a family member or a friend or something so they can they can convey the personal side. Um, exactly. Right? But then that's a tough one to do. But, uh, um, but I think, you know, part of it is picking the right people. Um, and, uh, and give them the best training possible. Um, um, but don't do it just so you can sign off some report that says you've done it. Um, you know, it's called suicide prevention, <laughs> you know, and, and so if you're not engaged and you're not invested, um, it's not going to be prevented. It's just going to be checking a block, you know. Exactly. And that's just a small example. And I want to go back to just really quick is like, um, I think, the Navy has these programs, right? We named um, Warrior Toughness, right. Expanded Operational Stress Control. Right. And then we talked about Safe Talk and Assist, right? Yep. And our suicide prevention programs. Those are great. But I think that at every command in the Navy, we could all do a better job of taking those programs more seriously and advertising them more, yep. promoting them more yep. so that our sailors know that they exist. And that's kind of part of one of the goals behind, you know, creating this podcast is, is to promote these resources in a different way. So that sailors and service members all around the world at any time from anywhere can listen, listen in and know that there are resources. No, that, that's a great point. Them. And you know, one of the dangers that my generation has is we think that if we hang it on a website that your generation is going to go find it. Um, and, uh, unless it pops up in your Reddit feed, you're probably not right. Exactly. Um, but, uh, I just, I just got a Reddit account the other day. Um, and certainly eye opening. but you know, you had Mick Pond on Reddit, you know, with ask yep. me anything, uh, you know, um, I'd actually, we can talk offline about this, but I'd actually ran a, I read and ran a Python script, right. That went through, um, and scrubbed that Reddit feed mm -hmm. for all, all keywords, right. That's oh my gosh. Well. Toxic leadership, yep. suicide, assault, harassment. Yeah, and so yeah. I have this long thread okay. of these horrendous posts and activities yeah. that I'm just going to dig through and kind of digest. Okay. Um, and I'll probably, uh, cool. you know, pick and choose some of those things to talk yeah. about. But like that, that's how serious, you know, that I'm taking this and I, and I see what's going on right in our Navy and, and I really want to fix it. And I know that the people that we put in these high level positions to implement those changes, they want that information. Nope, so that I, I think it's awesome, it. you know, and, yeah. uh, um, and, and you make a good point. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a national security issue, right? If our, if our frontline sailors and soldiers aren't ready to 
to fight the war that when it comes, you don't get to choose. Um, you know, but I always say you, you start the, you start the watch with the sleep you had, you know, you, you know, the folks on the coal started that damage control effort with whatever they had in the tank and they didn't get to, and only, you know, caffeine can only get you so that's far. That's right. Energy drink. Well, it was interesting. One of our science, one of our experiments, we had a ship underway for like three weeks on a, a three section watch bill. And then they got more people qualified, got underway about four, about four months later on a four section watch bill. Uh, energy drink consumption dropped by 20%. So that tells you something that, uh, you know, they're not depending on energy drink. Now, Suffolk was not happy because he's not selling, not making cash for MWR. But, uh, but no, so there's, uh, um, you know, if you, if, if, from the mental health to the sleep to what it's all science, right? And so if we follow the science and pay attention to the human side of things, you know, back to, you know, why my position was created. It says right in the comprehensive review that, uh, you know, the, the, the fleet did not have someone in place to, to have a pulse on these, on these challenges <clears throat> until it became a mental health issue and the medical folks were dealing with it. But, but then it's too late, you know. So back to one point you made about taking it seriously. So I think you're going to see some recommendations that I really would, I hope, that will come to fruition. And it goes back to the leadership piece as well is putting some of these training things in the pipeline so that when I, for the enlisted force, right? So that when you leave whatever you spend as an E5, you don't just go to your next ship. Um, you go through a naval leadership course. You go through an expanded operational stress control two-day course. You take the half-day safe talk. Um, we give you those tools as a training event before you show up on the ship so that you're not a taking it out of hide. Um, and in some cases giving it lip service because you, you're in the back of your mind, you're like, I got a spot check this afternoon. I got the engine's not going to fix itself. I have to write that eval. Um, and so, uh, um, you know, good grief. I mean, I probably spent for a 12 month for a 12 month XO tour. I think I was in a pipeline for nine months, you know, um, between ages training and leadership training and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and you know, I'm not suggesting that needs to happen for every enlisted person. But if we invest in you as an E5, we're probably going to keep you through E6, E7, you know. Um, and now, now we don't have a, a, a nutrition problem. We don't have a retention problem. We don't have to recruit as many people because we're not driving them out, you know. So we can, yeah, focus on the ones that we yeah. do have. So I hope, I, I think I'm starting to see those recommendations come out time and again. Um, but will we take them? That's the challenge. Um, so, you know, um, it, they all, it, but they cost money. Um, but it's money well spent, I think, because it's an investment in your people. And um, so I wanted to ask one last question. Okay. Is this just this is something that I've personally been wondering? Um, so we have these documents, right? We have this mental health playbook that I was so excited about and, and thought that, you know, was such a great thing to have. Um, so it says, you know, released by OpNav in 1.7. And um, I, I just want to know how much weight this holds or, or what exactly is it if you know is is it a policy is it something that's black and white that you know we can bring to our leaders and say hey this is how you guys should be treating us or mm. can it something that we can teach our sailors and say this is the standard this is how you should now 
you know, lead people? Right. Like, do, do you not, can you answer that question? I, th- uh, I think so. I mean, um, so OPNAV N17 is essentially an arm of the chief of naval operations, right? So OPNAV N1 is people, N2 is Intel, N3 is ops, but they are all assistant secretary, um, assistant chief of naval operations for personnel training, whatever. And so when, uh, um, uh, I'll get the name wrong now, when the Admiral signs that out, he is he is signing it out on behalf of, uh, you know, CNO Gilday. And so, yes, okay. I believe it would not have been signed out if SecNav and CNO had not read it and said, this is what I want to put out to the force. Now, does it have the force of an instruction or a mandate that says, if you don't do this, there will be consequences? Not really. I don't think. Um, uh, I think it's out there. That's why they called it a handbook and not a, a roadmap and not a instruction or, or you know. Um, I think that, uh, you know, if you look at, at that plus the suicide report plus the DOD um uh, sexual harassment, sexual assault report, there are concrete recommendations. You know, you should boom, 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 boom. Um, at high levels and at low levels, you know, unit commanders. Um, the challenge is those are recommendations and they, they have to be turned into policy, right? And right, so, because if it's only a recommendation, you can't really hold people right, accountable right. for not enforcing yep, that. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, so, but I do think, you know, just the fact that that document exists is uh, is a sign that our leadership takes this seriously. And so I do think that, you know, but back to your point, um, if I've told you what you should be doing and you don't do it, um, I can hold you accountable for the consequences, you know. Um, so I, I won't hold you accountable for breaking regulations or not following a regulation. Um, but if the consequences are bad and I say, look, I, I told you um, how to do this, and you chose not to, and this happened. Therefore, you know, I hold you. I'm going to hold you accountable. And that, you know, doesn't mean you have to fire somebody. It could be counseling. It could be more training. But, but at one way or another, um, I think, you know, the hard part will be a lot of these things come out, and then a week later, or a month later, nobody's talking about them. Will they? Are they? They end up, right. you know. Um, but I just poked around before this talk on the main on the My Navy HR website. There's a lot of good stuff on there. But you do mm-hmm. kind of no, have there to hunt is, yeah. a little bit, you know. You do. Um, and so, uh, um, no, I, I'd like to think that uh, that this uh, mental health handbook will become, you know, there's one in every desk at the at the you know the different leadership schools, at the different pipeline schools, and on ships and places. Um, and uh, so, absolutely, I think uh, I know a couple of O sixes and, and and senior people who were directly involved with writing that document. Um, and they were excited to have their thoughts put on paper and endorsed. So, yeah, I think it, it, it definitely has a, a, a lot, some oomph behind it. Um, okay, good. It's not something where somebody's going to be taking the captain's mask because they didn't do what it says in paragraph seven. Um, but uh, I, was, I was also happy, like you pointed out, to see a lot of leadership discussion in there. It's not just about, yeah. you know, and so uh, um, it's a really, I mean, I don't say this often about Navy documents, but it's a really, really good one. Um, and uh, and if, if every leader were to read it and follow it, um, I think we would. Uh, we, we could we do could, something. Yeah, we could do something here. Yep, sure thing. So, yeah, and I just, I want to read out something because this is pr- the biggest reason why I asked you that is because, you know, something that, that really stood out to me in this document uh-huh. is that 
It says Navy leaders must do all we can to create an environment where our people understand that we care about their well-being so they can do the most valuable and meaningful work of their lives alongside people they respect where they are prepared and enabled to succeed. Yeah. Pretty cool. Huh? And in the black and white, it is pretty yeah. cool. And, and like we just said, if, if we all read that and lived by it, then we, we could turn a big corner. So uh, this is why I'm so excited to see this in the black and white, you know, signed off by the chief of Naval operations. Right. Um, right. So if I could just yeah. get them to convince them to add respect as a core value, but that's another discussion. Um, but, uh, no, what a great sentence, you know, and, uh, and who would not want to work in an organization that lives by that, you know, and, mm. and you're not going to see that at, uh, oh, I hear your, your co-host there, uh, chiming in. Yeah. They always have to be in every episode. I swear. <laughs> That's, <awesome. laughs> That's funny. That's good. They have a comment. Um, but no, thanks for reading that because uh, that's a uh, that's a very important sentence because it really does speak to everything that we've been talking about tonight, and uh, and so it's good to see that. Um, and I, I I think you know I know Cino Gilday and uh, and uh, and and Secnav from my Navy time, and uh, they are excellent people, and I believe that they believe that, um, and uh, and so I think we owe it to them, and we owe it to ourselves too. To, to read that and if somebody's not living up to that call them out right um and so uh uh whether that's someone you work for or someone you work with or someone who works for you and uh and you know the good thing about the military is we can kick people out you know we're not like society where they're you know they're either in society or they're in jail you know um in the <laughs> yeah. military we can just kick them back to society and and we don't have to deal with them you know and so, uh, you know, I'd I hope that we'll, you know, take that book to heart and, uh, and make it kind of required reading. Um, and then, and then the important thing is, is revisit it occasionally and say, Hey, you know, have we drifted off course? Um, and, uh, and make it part of the pipeline training, make it part of, of, of the general, uh, day to day. Um, so you can, you can use that as a roadmap, you know, but no, it's, it's very encouraging to see that. Um, mm -hmm. Indeed. Yeah. All right. What else? We've been going for a while. I know. <laughs> We've been recording for, I want to say, uh, almost an hour and a half. I don't want to take up um, too much more of your night. Um, so I just thank you so much for talking to me. I know, you know, with our schedules and the time difference, it was, it was a little bit challenging to connect. But I, I really think that this was such a useful conversation. Well, and, thank you. Um, it certainly was to me. Can I ask you a question? Of course, yeah. So what prompted this? I mean, um, not just because I would never have the skill set to do what you're doing, but, uh, um, you know, a lot of people think about doing something like this. But, you know, what was your seminal moment where you said, I think I'll do a podcast? Um, <laughs> and uh, Actually, so... Um, I, you know, D guts, right. Mm -hmm. You've been featured on his podcast as well. And I have listened to him for the last year because I personally, um, seek out, you know, I read leadership books. Yeah. I seek out advice, um, and, and mentorship and, you know, his podcast was something it's like, okay, this is leadership in the media. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he's really so good can, yeah, at asking questions yeah. and pulling things out. Yeah. 
so I can put some tools in my toolbox, you know, as I progress through my career. So I started doing that. But also, um, if you listen to the first episode of my podcast, I really go into the story about kind of the trauma and adversity that I've had to face um, since I've been in the military okay. and kind of how how I overcame that and how it really changed my life and and sent me on this mission um, where I where I found my purpose. Right. And that purpose is to, to help people and to help the sailors and the Navy who are in, who are inevitably going to go through adversity. Um, right. and so the way that, the way that I overcame it, right. was kind of unconventional. Um, it took me a while, a few steps to get to actually going to, to seeking, you know, therapy. Um, first I did bodybuilding, right. So mm. I kind of distracted myself and, and build up my confidence by, by getting into bodybuilding. And then I, I started reading books about, you know, psychology and the brain. So that was another part of it. And then, you know, I was able to get into therapy and kind of build myself up to be able to talk through some of the yeah. things that I went through. But then as I, um, you know, got out of that um, space and came into my next command, I found myself working with a lot of junior sailors. And when I say junior, I mean, just, you know, just like newer to the Navy, <laughs> right? Like fresh, fresh out of a school and boot camp. And I, I just had this this care, like, you know, all of this trauma and, you know, these bad leaders that I had to face. I don't want them to ever have to go through that. So <laughs> I became very, you know, protective in a sense. It was like, no, I'm going to show you what the right thing is and I'm going to be there to support you. Um, so, so that played a factor into it. And then uh, the last thing I'll say is, you know, I've been talking to our chaplain um at the building where i work and you know they do these wellness and resiliency events every quarter uh -huh. and i was just you know complimenting you know this is great you know and uh he asked if i wanted to get involved and i and i just started thinking you know how can i get involved yeah. and, and we finally landed on the idea of a podcast and um so i hit up d guts right because <laughs> i'd been listening to him for a while <laughs> And on a whim, I was like, you know, thinking this guy's like Navy famous. He's not going to respond to me. No, he quickly responded to my email, just asking him for some advice. And awesome. and we connected and he really pushed me to just kind of go forth with it. You know, he validated my idea and encouraged it and, you know, talked about how how good of a purpose it was and, and how we needed something like that. And I just kind of I listened to him and nice said, all right, I'm just going to get going. And it's been so awesome to just talk to people and listen to their stories and just just unpack some of this stuff that we deal with in the military. So Great. that's Great. that's my why. Hey, that's yeah. awesome. Well, for what it's worth, you're good at it. So uh, oh, thank you, sir. Yeah, yeah, I got to get back. On. I, I, I was on his show. He wanted me to come back for a couple other topics. And I've, I've been remiss because um, I really enjoy talking to him as well. Um, so yeah, um, well, Hey, congratulations. And, uh, and, and thanks for the time. It, it, it has been a real pleasure. You know, there's nothing more satisfying than helping somebody overcome an obstacle, overcome adversity, open a door, you know, it's, whether you call it advocacy or allyship or, um, you know, whatever. And, uh, if, uh, if everybody would kind of take a page from what you're doing, um, we would solve a lot of these problems. 
without having to have special programs and training and, and all that crazy stuff, you know. So, uh, so thanks again. And uh, I hope to see you around the waterfront someday. Yeah, thank you again, sir. I know you're busy and you're traveling and all that. So, yeah, I really appreciate your time. And thanks one more time for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. All right. And it's John. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Seeds of Triumph podcast. If you would like to contact us, please email seedsoftriumph.podcast at gmail.com. Additionally, please check out the link in our episode description for a list of mental health resources, nonprofit organizations, and book recommendations that all center around mental health, wellness, and resiliency. And lastly, if you are currently struggling with your mental health, please seek out professional help immediately. Thanks again, and I really appreciate your continued support. The views expressed by the speaker and all guests are not those of the Department of Defense, United States Navy, or any other government agency. They are strictly those of the speakers who do not speak for any other organization or entity. The speakers are not mental health professionals and do not intend any of the content of this podcast as mental health advice. If you need professional mental health advice, please seek out your closest military or civilian mental health providers immediately.